Welcome to the very first episode of the True Neighbor Podcast. My name is Tom Breyer. Less than two months ago, on January 29th, I celebrated my 28th birthday. At the time, the news in the United States was honestly quite bleak. Kobe Bryant had passed away just three days prior. The Senate was in the midst of an impeachment trial to decide whether the President of the United States should be removed from office. The EPA had just rolled back its 90th environmental regulation in the past three years. This country was going through a lot. Across the globe, however, a dark cloud was forming. The day after my birthday, on January 30th, the World Health Organization declared a global public health emergency due to the sudden emergence of the novel coronavirus, otherwise known as COVID-19. Fast forward two months later, and we are now in the midst of a global pandemic. A sinister shadow of sickness has enveloped our planet. As of the time of this recording on March 23rd, 2020, more than 15,000 human beings have lost their lives to COVID-19, and another 350,000 have tested positive for the disease. Here in Pennsylvania, all non-life-sustaining businesses have been ordered by Governor Tom Wolf to close their doors. Students have been sent home and workers have been laid off. The term social distancing is now at the forefront of American discourse. A new reality has descended upon us. Emerging from this new reality, however, is what I find to be a ray of hope. I see citizens of all ages banding together to improve the lives of their neighbors. Unity has replaced division and compassion has supplanted anger. Pennsylvanians far and wide have become what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once called a true neighbor. The ultimate measure of a man, he wrote in his 1963 book, Strength to Love, is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. The true neighbor will risk his position, his prestige, and even his life for the welfare of others. This podcast is about the true neighbor, the men, women, and children of Pennsylvania who have used the COVID-19 crisis as an opportunity to help others, public officials, teachers, students, nurses, small business owners, physicians, coaches, cashiers, postal workers. They all have a story to tell, a story about courage and a story about hope. Through this podcast, I plan to share those stories with you because only by sharing our stories can we lift our collective spirits and band together in what might very well be the fight of a generation. My first guest is Cumberland County Commissioner Gene Fashi. Gene and I met on the campaign trail several months ago, and she has been a mentor, a friend, and a role model of mine ever since. In this episode, we talk about how she first reacted to news of the coronavirus, what it's been like to confront a pandemic just three months after being sworn into office, the resources that are currently available to the residents of Cumberland County, the most important traits 
of leadership and her favorite movie recommendations for folks to watch during this time of social distancing. I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope you enjoy hearing the stories of Central Pennsylvania's real heroes. And now I give you our first true neighbor, Gene Fashi. All right, I'm here with Gene Fashi. Gene's one of the first people I met when I decided to run for office, and so it's only fitting that she's our first guest on the podcast. Uh, Gene, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Tom. I appreciate it. Of course. Uh, so we have a lot to talk about tonight. Um, we're recording this on Friday night, March 20th, and because things change so rapidly, uh, we hope that by the time this gets released, um, not too much has changed in the world, although that's, although that's tough to say. But Gene, before we dive in, um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background uh, and uh, your life before you were uh, sworn in earlier this year as Cumberland County Commissioner? So um, I, have, I have a very interesting and varied background. Um, I have a degree in political science from Penn State, and I have a paralegal certificate from Penn State. But uh, when I graduated from college, I went um, to Haas's, and I, and I worked for Haas's, and I ran several of their restaurants. And then I moved to the Camp Hill area um, to work for a law firm. So I used that paralegal certificate in both the private and the public sector. Um, and then I was laid off. I worked for a publicly traded company in the legal department there, and it was purchased by a number, another publicly traded company. And, um, and when, at the time I was laid off, I had a four-year-old and a one-year-old. So I was fortunate enough to stay home. Um, in the meantime, I taught some fitness classes, but in 2018, uh, my friend Joe Bitzer um, mentioned to me that the Dems needed someone to run against Cheryl Delosier, and so I did in 2018, and then I ran again in 2019 for Cumberland County Commissioner, and here I am. Before 2018, had you ever considered running for office, or was that kind of a, a spur-of-the-moment decision that you decided to take on, you know, kind of right then and there? I'd always thought about it. Um, but it wasn't something that was certainly in the forefront for me at the time. Well, we're all lucky that you decided to do it. Uh, what, so your current role now, as you said, is, is Cumberland County Commissioner. What are, what are the main responsibilities uh, of that position? So your commissioner does two basic things. And one is um, they oversee the budget of the county. So they're, they're the steward of the taxpayer dollars. And then they also... Um, are there to ensure that all of the mandated human services are delivered. Uh, and that really, I, I think, is the bigger part of the job. Um, because we have so many human services. We have the 911 system. We have public safety. We have children and youth. Um, you know, it, it just goes on and on and on. You've been at this now for four months. Is there anything uh, that you've recognized in your time in office that you kind of weren't sure of before you got in there, maybe it was different than you expected? I, you know, one of the things that um, has struck me in the time that I've been there is having, having never worked in the, in the government sector, um, I was like, oh yes, government does move very slowly. Mm -hmm. uh, I was very accustomed to saying, well, let's just go do it. You know, let's just go do whatever needs to be done and, and we can always fix it later if we need to, you know, you can always beg forgiveness, but there are a lot of government processes in place and they're there for a reason, but that, you know, they were surprising to me. Well, four months in, you are faced now with a pandemic. Three. <laughs> only 
three, three months. Uh, yeah, <laughs> even less time. Uh, so almost one, four, Tom. Almost four. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my uh, equilibrium's off with with timing lately. I, a day feels like a month. Uh, so one of the things I find kind of fascinating in just thinking about how this COVID pandemic has really descended upon us is just you know it's not even two weeks ago that I was viewing this I think still through the lens of a a um, nuisance and not uh, not quite a uh, you know the gravity that we're viewing it with now walk us through your timeline in terms of uh, not just from your you know position in office but like psychologically when did you first learn of COVID-19 what was your initial reaction and when during this whole process did your sense of urgency change and did you start to realize that this was something much larger than it might have appeared at, at first so the first time I even really paid attention to it was when it made the Sunday New York Times mm. um, and I just remember seeing these pictures of, of people in China um, looking very alarmed uh, and then the next you know the next edition of the New York Times there were people in China with um, they had like bandanas on their face and they were walking on the street um, but they shouldn't have been they should have been in, in isolation at that point in time and you know when, when you see those things and you th I think about how far away China is right like oh that's China you know that's never going to make it here um, and then it hit Italy, and then it got a little more serious. Um, and by the time we got the case in Washington State, it, it was super serious. On a, on a very personal level, um, my, my boys and I were supposed to have gone on two different trips this spring. <laughs> and, uh, the first one was going to be to Spain. It was an educational trip. And that was canceled at the beginning Oh, that was canceled before January just because we're just the, the school decided to postpone it for a year. And thank goodness they did because it's that trip should have been this coming week. Um, and then today we were supposed to have left then. We replaced the trip with a Disney cruise and we were supposed to have left today on a Disney cruise. And uh, that was canceled, you know. When was your, uh, so you learn it, you know, like most Americans, I suppose, in when it's reported in the New York Times, when was the first conversation, real serious conversation that you had with your fellow Cumberland County commissioners? Was there like a moment in time where you all sat down and, and discussed what was happening? Well, we all, we all started talking about that pretty quickly after I got, after I got there on January 6th. Um, and certainly the employees, you know, the employees that, that are in charge of things were, were talking about it. But I think the most, the, the super serious conversations happened about two weeks ago, mm. um, where we really started to think about what are we going to do if we have a problem? What was the, what came to the top of the list from, from uh, that discussion? What was kind of the, the top level priority if you, uh, if this, at that time at least, if the pandemic became worst case scenario, what did you talk about as being something that needed to be addressed first? So on February 29th, um, Cumberland County's public safety opened their emergency operations um, and we started getting daily reports about what was coming in. And we were just, you know, one of some of the first conversations are what are we going to, what will our schools do? What, were our, what will our school districts do and how are we going to contain that? Um, some other conversations had to do with supplies. How are we going to make sure we have supplies? How are we going to make sure that our first responders are taken care of? And then one of the 
one of the biggest conversations that we had when we realized that we were we were absolutely going to have to move into a different mode of operating is what are we going to do with our employees? Are we going to pay them? Are we not going to pay them? How are we going to handle them? Um, and the Cumberland County Salary Board, of which the three commissioners are members, and there's, a, there's a, another voting member, we unanimously decided that we will pay all Cumberland County employees. Um, if they're home and they're not working, they get paid. Um, if they're home and they are working, they're getting, um, it's, it's a bit of a, it's not a bonus and it's not an incentive. It's just a little bit of extra compensation. And then if they actually have to come into the county to deliver those, those critical services, then they get another level of compensation. We wanted to make sure that our, that our employees were taken care of. That was very, very important. Well, it's great to hear because now we're seeing the, the real impact uh, and how meaningful that must be. So when you, during that conversation, that initial conversation when you're identifying you know, the, the potential ramifications for school districts, for first responders. Uh, is there outreach taking place? Like, do you contact superintendents or is this just more so an internal kind of deliberation as to what the, the proper protocol will be? So I, I, as well as the other two commissioners, we attended a public safety meeting with the superintendents from the area and they started talking about their plan. Um, public safety plays a really great role in making sure that people understand the breadth and depth of what is going on and the seriousness of the situation. And I, I think that that was very helpful for everyone. So it sounds like it was very collaborative. I would say yes, it was very collaborative. This kind of thing has to be. Um, no one can do this on their own. No, and especially in a democracy. I mean, we don't have a choice, right, but to, right. But to have social collaboration and discourse. Uh, and I mean, it sounds like from the beginning, that's been your approach. H how has, so now fast forward a couple of weeks, um, how have you seen COVID? Uh, how, what are the, what have the effects been like? How far have the ripple effects gone? Where do you see, um, the, the biggest challenges being in terms of mitigation and the biggest impact so far in Cumberland County? So the first job is that we have to prevent the spread of this virus. That is our first job. And anyone who is concerned about public safety, it, that's the first job. Um, and as an elected public servant who, who is man, you know, I mean, my job, I'm mandated to take care of public safety. It, we have to stop the spread of this virus. We have to do everything we possibly can. And, you know, today, I, I, um, as a group, about, about nine of us um, sat in a room and we separated from each other, but we watched the governor's um, news conference today. And he talked about how people really need to take this seriously. In fact, he talked about how seriously. In fact, he talked about how people from it, what was it, the ages of... That's right. Under 55, I think, make up, what was it, 38% of uh, cases? Uh, yes. And he said, you have to take this seriously. And he talked about making that very hard decision to close all businesses that, that, that don't um, contribute to really... What did he say? They're, they... Non-life essential. Yeah, life essential businesses. He, he talked about how hard that is. Um, and people are very worried about that. And I certainly understand that people are worried about that. But the best thing we can do is listen to those guidelines and stay calm and stay home and stay safe. Absolutely. And that's kind of been the drumbeat from Governor Wolf and Dr. Levine uh, over these past, who, who has handled this magnificently as well. Yeah. Very measured. Um, it, for small business, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I've actually, I've gotten phone calls from 
from friends who you know work at car dealerships, uh, who work in the hotel industry, and they're they're pretty distraught about what this might mean for them. Uh, how do you view? Obviously, this is necessary, but w what are you hearing on the ground in Cumberland County about this order? So I fielded a, a tremendous number of phone calls this week about what is going to happen to my small business. What am I going to do? Um, and the governor, uh, in conjunction with the SBA, there are some SBA loans available to people that have small businesses that have been affected. But the Cumberland Area Economic Development Corporation, CADIC, they have a website. You can go to that website. There's a lot of information there for small businesses about steps they can take and places that they can go to for help. Um, but I will tell you, I, I think it is, I, I know it is a challenge for a lot of people. Have you talked at all to healthcare experts? Are they, do you see any particular challenges in terms of what nurses and physicians and, and other industry leaders are seeing at least going forward for these next few weeks or months? Well, I listened to, you know, I listened to the president talk yesterday during his press conference about getting more masks um, manufactured and going to construction and saying, okay, you have these N95 masks, we need them. Can we, can we get them from you? So I think that I know that there is an issue with getting a hold of materials that we need. Um, and I know that the federal government is really pushing as well as the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to get some more respirators uh, manufactured. And those will be, those will be very important. But you know, when we, when something like this happens, I mean, you can't have just have respirators lying around waiting for a problem. Right. So certainly they were not in production um, until, you know, until now, until we're in a crisis. Um, this inventory, I think, Tom, is a good word to use when I think about the challenges of this particular virus. If there was anything you could say, you know, if you were talking to a, either a state representative or a federal representative, whether in the, the um, U.S. House or, or in the Senate, what would you say to them as being, you know, a really major concern? Would it be paid leave? Would it be, you know, a, kind of a, an initial stipend for adults and children? Would it be small business loans? Obviously, it doesn't have to be one over the other, but it's in terms of what you're seeing on the ground and the phone calls you're, you're hearing, is there something that you would say to a, an elected official that this should be really, really urgent in terms of priority? Well, I'm going to tell I'm going to say this to you as a constituent of an elected official at the state. So I'm going to, I'm going to walk away right now. I'm going to answer this question as a constituent is okay. not, and not as a Cumberland County commissioner. I get my elected officials emails <clears throat> and I wish my elected official would take this seriously as a public health hazard. I, it, I am so bothered that I hear from every, every intelligent source that says, stay calm, stay home, stay safe. We have to social distance. Do not go out if you don't need to. Do not spend time out. And, and my elected official in her communications this week says, the governor has decided non-essential businesses will close, and he decided what they are. Um, today in writing, she said the governor is now mandating that non—it's not non-essential anymore. It's that non-life essential businesses that they have to close, and he's determined he can do that based upon the declaration of emergency last week. I think that's such a bad message to people. So she hasn't said anything about social distancing or not well and then you know it's kind of tucked in there mm. um
But it's not the focus. But her, yes, her focus is digging the governor or um, kind of negating his message saying, we have to close, we have to, we're going to have to mitigate the spread of this virus, we have to do this. And it is painful, but we have to do it. Um, those things are, that, that, that bothers me as a constituent, Tom, that, that very much bothers me. No, and it should, because if, you know, Gene, this is something that you and I, you know, I'm trying to do what, what you're doing now is to run for office and serve the public. You know, this is a question that we should reserve to experts, right? Yes, I, I absolutely agree. And, you know, I think that, that uh, Dr. Levine, she has done an unbelievable job of getting out good medical information. And she is the expert, and we should listen to her. Uh, when the governor says, you know, we, we're going to have to sacrifice and do this. And on the other side of this, we're going to come out and, and do something about the economic issues. And, and we're working on the epic economic issues now. But in order to prevent the deaths of people that live in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, we need to, to be in isolation. We need to be social distancing. We don't need to be out at non-essential things. Um, <clears throat> to negate his message, I think, is irresponsible. I agree. Um, speaking of staying at home and, and really being strict about those social distancing measures, have you changed your routines at home? I know you said you have, you know, you have two kids. Your husband, uh, I'm, I'm sure he's home a little bit more now. How has this impacted your, your daily life? So both of my boys, um, this week they started their virtual school. So they have done virtual school from 9 in the morning until about 2 in the afternoon. Um, I, have, I have been at the county for most of that time, or I have been working from home, but most of the time I, I have been at the county working on things. Um, we, you know, they stay inside. Um, they don't, my boys, you know, there's no play dates. There's no sleepovers. They're inside doing their work. Um, we definitely go outside and go for walks and get some fresh air. We've been playing a little basketball if there's no one at the park, but you know, when there's other people at the park, then you, you can't stick around and do that. Um, so we all practice martial arts. We've been pra practicing martial arts inside because, you know, our, our dojang closed um, before this was mandatory. Wow. Yeah, you know, that the owner of the dojang, he just closed it. He said, yep, we're closed until further notice. Um, the gym that I really like to go to also closed when it, you know, when, when we first heard about this. They said, well, we're just going to close for a while. It's going to, we'll be here when this is over. But for now, let's all stay healthy and safe. So exercising at home, um, we're cooking at home, which we weren't really accustomed to doing, and that's good. We've watched a lot of movies together, and that's been fun. You know, what I find fascinating, uh, you know, one of the silver linings in a way of, uh, of being home is, you know, I'm, I find myself calling friends I haven't talked to in a while, mm -hmm. you know, calling parents and grandparents. We, uh, we brought out some old board games that I don't think we've looked at in <laughs> decades. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, there is something to be said for, for spending more time with family and, uh, and, and making the best of it, even though, you know, we're in this, I think, for the long haul. Uh, the one thing I've admired about Eugene ever since I met you is that you're a very optimistic person. Um, most encounters, I, just about every encounter I've had with you, I, I find myself walking away thinking that you're, you're very hopeful. Uh, have you been able to maintain that in the past uh, few weeks? And, and if so, is there something... Is there a source of inspiration that you look to? Is there a way for you to, you know, navigate as your first term 
first real quarter, honestly, in office dealing with a pandemic, something that's not been seen in, in this on this planet for a century. What do you do to maintain your, your mental health, your, your equilibrium, and still be optimistic about our chance to get through this? So I've always been a pretty positive person. Um, I have to move every day, Tom. I, I'm not one of those people that really and truly enjoys sitting still. Um, so I move, I make sure that I exercise, and then I move around. I am The time that I spend with my family is so important to me. I have a very wonderful husband, and I have these two wonderful children, and I really am grateful for the time that I'm spending with them right now because um, we were all very busy, and, and now there's some time to, to reconnect and to do some things that we haven't done. Um, they make big messes in my house, but that's okay. <laughs> Uh, you know, when it, like tomorrow, um, we're going to work on cleaning some things up in the basement that we've been waiting for a year to do, you know, so we've been presented with some opportunity, uh, with some opportunities and, and those things are good on the, on the other side of this, Tom, we're all going to be okay, but we have to take care of each other and, and we can't, we, we have to be serious about being in isolation social distancing, not going out if we don't need to, because there's no need to make anyone sick that, that shouldn't be. Absolutely. And, and that kind of, um, you know, I actually I think, think Tom, that's a kind of patriotism, right? That was my next question, Gina. What is, so, I mean, now we're seeing what, uh, being an American really requires, right? Yes. It's looking out for your neighbor. It's having a real deep belief in, in, uh, in what this country stands for. What do you see, you know, we talked a little bit about your state representative not being uh, really um, explicit about some of the tactics we need to implement. What are the traits that you look at in a time like this as being the most important for a public official? If you were to list, you know, just a couple characteristics uh, that you really would prioritize in a time like this. So uh, one is being positive and, and putting out that good positive message to, to a constituency, to people that are counting on you. Can I, can I interject there for yeah. a quick second? How, so here, I find this to be kind of a, not a difficult question, but one worth kind of pondering. How do you draw the balance between candor and, and genuine honesty about the real potential for what is on the horizon and, and positivity? Are they ex mutually exclusive? How do you blend the two? Well, I, I, they're not mutually exclusive and they can't be. Um, you can tell people the truth, but you can do it in a way that lets them know that you are a leader and, and, and lets them know that you are trustworthy with what you're saying. So having a consistent message, um, being consistent with what healthcare officials are saying. But tempering the message a, a bit, like for example, let's say there was a volcano that was going to erupt here in Cumberland County. It would do. It wouldn't do me any good to go. We're all gonna die. You know, the lava is coming, right? It would be, hey, let's evacuate calmly, right? So, I, you know, I guess it's kind of akin to let's evacuate from this virus calmly by staying inside. I think that's a perfect perfect summation of, of what we need to do because you know the the enemy isn't each other it's the virus right um, yes absolutely one of the things that I have noticed when I've read things this this week and I and I've read things from a lot of different sources and you know in the United Kingdom they are being um, I would say that they're the, the, the health materials that they're putting out that the scientific materials that are out there they are 
very ominous. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so one of the things that they talk about is that, yes, some people will get this virus and they will recover and they won't have a problem. And some people will get it and they will have permanent, they will have, it's not permanent, it's lung damage that will take 15 years to heal, which is, which is very serious. Um, and sometimes I wish that, is, that we would put that information out um, in a very factual way so that people understand why you need to be, you need to be cautious about this and you need to follow the, the rules at this point in time because that's, no one needs that for 15 years of their life. That raises an interesting question, Jean, and this is something I've thought a lot about. Where do you go for your news? Do you prioritize certain publications? Are you more of a print uh, person? Do you, do you prioritize certain channels? I mean, I think this question now we're seeing um, when we have partisan uh, media, uh, how the gravity of this is portrayed depending on the medium that it comes through. Do you have, do you try to broaden your, your news sources? How do you go about getting the most reliable information? I, I like the New York Times a lot. I like NPR. I, I'll go to MSN online. Um, I'll like, I like to, you know, I just like to get on there and Google scientific um, or medical publications to see what they're saying. Um, those, are, those are the kinds of things that I look at. No, and I think that's good for people to hear because we live in a, in a trust economy. And if you can't trust the information that you're being given, then the solutions aren't going to work, right? Right. Um, and so you mentioned, uh, just to my final question, uh, end on a, a little lighter of a note, but you mentioned that, you know, you've been spending time with your family, watching movies. Uh, since the people listening are going to be home now for, for extended periods of time, are there any good TV shows or movies, books, recipes, uh, activities that you would recommend to people that maybe they would try or watch for the first time? Okay, so I just saw John Wick 1, 2, and 3. They were great. Um, and I have been, you know, I've been waiting for a long time to watch those movies, so they were great. I don't know that they're everyone's cup of tea, but I really liked them. Well, if you like them, Gene, then I'm definitely going to watch it. <laughs> um, I like... Uh, I like almost any movie that Quentin Tarantino directed. Do you have a favorite? Kill Bill. Mm. Great movie. That, yeah, that one. I would have to say that one's my favorite, although I, I really did love Pulp Fiction also. Mm. Um, I can watch anything with Chris Farley in it, the late Chris Farley. Oh, man. It makes me laugh so hard. Tommy Boy is on my Mount Rushmore of movies, I think. Just yes. all time. If, if we get to the point where there's just, where, where we're just, you know, hanging out at home for a month, <laughs> I will pull out National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh my God, that's a great movie. I love that one too. Um, my boys watched Jojo Rabbit. Well, we all watched Jojo Rabbit the other night um, about the little boy in, in uh, Nazi Germany who isn't, who wants to be a Nazi and he thinks that Hitler, his, pretend Hitler is his best friend. That was really good. Mm. Um, and that is, you know, it's funny, but it, it, there really is a lesson there. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that probably if I'm going to go and escape somewhere, I'm going to watch something or I'll go for a walk. Uh, but really, if I really just want to do absolutely nothing, I'll sit down and watch television. 
Well, I, uh, I'm already log bringing up Tommy Boy on Netflix as we speak, so <laughs> I know what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, Gene, um, thanks for taking the time to do this. Uh, we're, we're lucky to have you in office. I, I know this has been a challenging start to your political career, but know that uh, your constituents and the people that look up to you are grateful for it. So thanks for taking the time to, to chat with us. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for, thanks for the podcast. And um, I'm, I'm anxious to hear what else you put out and who else you. you interview. That'll be great. Yeah, we're going to try to make this a uh, at least a, a daily um, publication and give people perspective on what's happening every day. So uh, obviously I knew Gene Fashi had to be the first one. <laughs> no, you're so kind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Gene. Have a great night. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.